Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by LaBelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from LaBelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And today's going to be one of those days where we can get a, a good look at some of the uh, formal uh, processes and actions and terms related to certain legal proceedings. And uh, it's one of those things we don't get enough time to do, and I'm glad we're going to take the time to do it today. Welcome back to Chicago's Legal Latte, everyone. Jim Mitchell here. And many times on the series, we will hear the guests that join us uh, drop terms and phrases related to whatever our, our topic is for that day. And many of us simply aren't familiar with those terms and phrases, and we've got to kind of go back and catch up once in a while. Uh, so today we're going to do that, and we're going to get a, a quick glimpse into the mechanisms of a case as we focus our discussion on the discovery process. Now, here to serve as our, our guide for that is Attorney Jennifer Burt of Lavelle Law Limited. Jennifer has, has joined me for previous discussions and always provides a very clear, very detailed level of content, and I think she's going to be a, a great help for us in the discussion today. So uh, a lot to cover, and I think it's really just part one of what will be an extended conversation over time. So, Jennifer, you've been busy. How are you doing? Everything good? Yes, I'm doing well, Jim. Good. So let's let's kind of set the stage for this first phase of our discussion today, um, and we're going to talk about discovery process. Now, is that sort of what comes in the legal proceedings right after a complaint has been filed? So a complaint is filed, and then an answer is due to the complaint and once the answer is filed, then you're called what's at issue. And at that point, you move into the next phase of the litigation, and that's called discovery. Okay. So we're going to talk about that today. Tell me a little bit about the discovery phase. What, what are some of the primary actions, some of, the, some of the primary things taking place during discovery? Discovery typically begins by sending what's called interrogatories and requests for production of documents, objects, and tangible things. The interrogatories are written questions, and the requests to produce are requests for documents or, or things or items or objects. Okay, so an interrogatory is your chance um, as an attorney then to, once, as you said, the, the case has been established, to say, all right, here's, here's what I need to know, here's what I want to learn from the, the opposing side. Is that right? That's correct, and they're written questions. Okay, now... And I know you you are involved in a wide variety of, of different cases, and I've got to imagine in some that are, you know, particularly complex. There's going to be a very significant number of of these that would be issued. Um, you know, as an attorney, are, are you limited into as to how many you can request or how many things you can ask for? Yes, with respect to interrogatories, you can only serve. 30 interrogatories, up to 30 interrogatories, and that's including subparts, unless you agree with the other party that you can serve more than 30, or by leave of court, granted by showing of good cause. And without getting too detailed here, because we could, I'm sure, really dive into this, but when you mentioned 30 interrogatories and subparts, so uh, an interrogatory isn't necessarily just a specific question, is it sort of a, a line of questioning or a, an area of evidence or for lack of a better term or what what goes into one single interrogatory 
When, when they say subparts, what they don't want you to do is ask one question, but then put A through, you know, H beneath okay. it. So they, want, they don't want you to be able to just get creative and make um, uh, one, 10 questions turn into one question. So you want to make your question as simple and uh, concise as possible in order to get a response back to just that one issue. Okay. And when these are submitted then, um, I assume they're not open-ended. Is there some sort of uh, time constraint that you then have to respond to them? According to the Illinois Supreme Court rules, you're required to respond to the interrogatories within 28 days after you receive them. And, and what sort of, tell me about you know, the, the response itself. You said that the interrogatories are, are obviously written. Um, is, is the response, I assume, the same? And are they formatted in a certain way? Do they have to be complete and comprehensive? Or do you sort of just give as much as you, I don't say as much as you feel like, but do you, do you have to be full, full disclosure on every question that's asked? Each question, typically what the opposing side will do is type up the questions that you already sent to them, and then they will put a spot for an answer directly underneath it, and then they will answer the interrogatory either substantively by stating the information that you're requesting, or they could object to the interrogatory. Okay, and I'm sure the objections are something I, I, I'm going to want to talk about here in a little bit because obviously that uh, I, I'm sure is something that may occur from time to time. Let me just reset for our listeners here um, the fact that uh, we're, we're covering the discovery process today. It's kind of our, our primer and our first look at this, and it's uh, Attorney Jennifer Burt of Laval Law that you're uh, hearing help provide some of this information for us. Um, uh, my guess is that uh, Jennifer and I are going to have multiple discussions on this, but if you'd like to get ahead of our podcast schedule a little bit, uh, let me recommend you visit LavelleLaw.com. Uh, Jennifer has posted a series of articles on this topic, and I think installment three was just added in the last week or two. Uh, a lot of great content, uh, much of what you'll hear today, and the chance for you to kind of go through it at your own pace. Uh, and, and, of course, on that site, uh, LavelleLaw.com, there's other articles and podcasts, uh, and soon to come some videos on, on some legal topics. So um, a lot of information there that you always need to take a look at um, to learn more. Now, Jennifer, you just kind of mentioned for me uh, objections, and uh, I'd kind of like to talk about that because I'm, I'm sure that that's a, a standard part of the process. What, what takes place and what are your rights and roles in terms of objecting, objecting to an interrogatory? You can object to an interrogatory. There's various bases to do it. The most common is relevance, meaning the question is just irrelevant to the case. It won't lead to the discovery of evidence that would be admissible at trial. Another option would be overly broad, meaning the question is just very broad and covers a lot of time frame and not specific enough to be able to um, uh, get a response back that would be uh, related to the case. Unduly burdensome, that's an argument that people say, well, I'd have to go through an entire you know, uh, warehouse of documents to be able to locate those documents. And then more common ones, too, are attorney-client privilege, just that communications that you have with you and your attorney are not allowed to be uh, uh, responded to and discovered. You don't have to provide any of that information because those uh, uh, communications are privileged and attorney work products. So any work that your attorney did on the case that's not public, obviously, um, you can make a, an objection based on that. 
Okay. Now I've got two quick questions for you about this just to follow up. The first is uh, you receive an interrogatory, a, an objection comes back. Um, obviously, you know, the attorneys might not agree. Is that a point at which the judge has to determine, you know, whether or not it is a fair objection and, and uphold it or not? Actually, if you want the judge to rule on the objections, mm-hmm. the uh, propounding party, the person who who uh, sent out the interrogatories or request to produce, would file a motion in court and ask the court to rule on the objections. Okay. So that would be a whole separate process, and that would be the judge would not know about that until you filed a motion, because all the discovery, most of it, is done outside of court. Nothing's filed. Okay. All right, so that's a, sort of a, a lead-up process there. Now, we talked about a 28-day uh, cycle to respond. Um, if an objection is filed, is there any follow-up then? I mean, do you restate the question if it's too broad, and then does that set another 28-day cycle in motion? Well, uh, if you really believe that your question was too broad, you could say um, that you would amend it, and then you would just amend that particular question. And then, yes, of course, I think you would give them, you know, some extra time, obviously, to respond. Okay. Um, Now, in the process, you also mentioned the request for production of documents, Um, and that seems to be sort of a a different different approach, different uh, content here. Tell us a little bit about that. So the request for documents, the information that you get in the form of documents is what makes up your case as far as exhibits and, and documents that you want to Uh, have admitted to the trial for the trial court to consider. So you can actually request any, obviously, any copies of any written papers. You can also ask uh, for objects or tangible things, um, like, for example, uh, you know, I don't know, a car after it had had been hit. You could go and inspect that car. Or if you, you think the key was faulty in the car, you could request to inspect that key. So you can actually get documents, or excuse me, you can actually get objects as well. Um, another option is sometimes with uh, 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 real estate, you can go and actually look at the real estate, make an inspection on the real estate, create a survey on the real estate, take photos. Um, and all that information would be information that would be relevant to your case that's going to help you to either discover information that would be admissible or to get to the uh, the nitty-gritty of your case to figure out what are the main issues in your case. And in terms of that request for production of documents, is there the same type of time parameter in terms of uh, adhering and responding to that? It is. It's 28 days, just like the interrogatories. Okay. So once this process has played out and and, um, uh, the attorney has responded in what they think is, you know, full and, and complete effort, um, do they then need to produce any further documentation that says, I'm done, I'm complete, and I've, I've met your request here? When you, re- when you actually send in the responses to the interrogatory, interrogatories, you have a sworn answer, and it's just a statement at the end signed by the party saying that under penalties of perjury, you certify that the statements in the responses to the interrogatories are true and correct except as to matters that would be on, upon information and belief that you're not sure of, you would certify that you believe those same things to be true. And that's with respect to the interrogatories. And for the request to produce, there's an affidavit that states all the documents produced are complete in accordance with the request. 
And so you'd have that affidavit to fall back on in the event that some other documents were not produced. And in terms of things that may not be produced or, let's say, during the process or after the process, you become aware of other information that should be made available or could be relevant, is there any opportunity for follow-up after that first request and response cycle has taken place? Yes, every party has a continuing duty throughout the case to supplement the responses. So if something changes and you find out some new information, when you find out that new information, you need to change and amend your answers to the interrogatories and the request to produce in order to comply with the rule. And in terms of the role the attorney plays, and obviously you, you mentioned the affidavits and, and the sworn statements that, that everything is, is true and complete, as you work with clients, I assume it's pretty significantly important that you tell them, look, you know, we're going to be going through this process and I, I need to know everything. And that's, I assume, part of your role is to make sure that your client is not being evasive, not hiding anything, and that you have to have everything that they know or that they can share one way or the other to make sure everything is complete. Absolutely. And I always have them err on the side of including more because certain documents or certain information may become helpful later. And if you don't produce it in discovery, you're not going to be able to use it at the trial. So yeah, it's okay. very critical that, yeah, very critical that they uh, give you all the documents that would be helpful to them and hurtful because you can't, you can't lie in this process. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the idea is, is that you want to have a fair trial based on real evidence. Yeah, and I think that's a, a great point that uh, if it's if it's not part of discovery, it, it can't be part of the trial. And I think that's a, I think a very good place for us perhaps to uh, to stop our conversation today as we've kind of run up against the clock again. As I said earlier, I, I think we'll be well served to have Jennifer back with us soon. And and then you, you know, our listener, um, I think would be well served again to visit LavelleLaw.com and take a look at some of the articles Jennifer has posted on this topic and others to certainly uh, you know supplement what we've heard today and. Uh, give you a little chance to think a little bit more about it. So thanks to uh, Jennifer for being here. Thanks to our listeners. And we look forward to talking with you again uh, next week on our next edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.